out of relationship, beautiful things happen. We're about to start in the series on this letter to Ephesians. And all I want us to see today is the relationship. Paul writes a letter and we're reading it 2,000 years ago, which on the surface is weird, isn't it? I mean, you don't normally read other people's mail. It's kind of sketchy, weird. You shouldn't. It's illegal. Um, but, but we are. Why? Because of the beautiful relationship between Paul and these people, what they were going through, what they needed to hear is now relevant. As a matter of fact, of all of Paul's letters, this is probably the most timeless of all of them. Because it doesn't deal with the junk going on, the little ins and outs of what's going on in the community, he lays out a reminder of what he said when he was with them. So today, all we're going to do uh, is look at the who, what, when, where, and why. Like, look at the background of it, and then we'll, we'll look in particular at the teaching of it starting next Sunday, so don't miss that. Uh, Ephesians 1 is where we're going to be, Ephesians 1. Uh, we'll just read verses 1 and 2. I'll read from my Bible. If you have, read from your Bible. I'm in the NIV. If not, just look on the screen. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's people, God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul writes like anyone did in their day. Just like we have writing styles. You have like a salutation at the beginning of a letter, dear so-and-so. In, in their day, they wrote in this kind of way. You start with addressing the person. And even whether you're a Christian or religious or not, you would start with a blessing from the gods. So any of the ancient letters you have from people start with to whomever, blessings be from the gods. And here, Paul says, who am I? And look at what he says, an apostle by the will of God. What's an apostle? That was just a sent person. Think of if you were going on business, you're ill or you're tied up. You send your assistant, you send your representative, and they do business for you. That was a sent one. That was an apostle. So it's an ordinary word. We've, we've given it like religious overtones. It was totally ordinary to be an apostle. But then he says, by the will of God. And that's like a little clue reminder because they know his story. And what I want us to do today is because Paul saw himself as more than a like FedEx delivery guy or, or, or like a legal secretary with documents. No, he saw himself as sent by God himself, and it was not his plan. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. This was the murdered one, the one that everyone else was mocking because he was thoroughly killed by Rome and put in a tomb. But somehow the word started spreading. No, he rose again. He's alive, and he has the power to change life right now. So Paul says, I am a representative. God did this. This was not my life plan. Pause for a second. Do you know that same thing could be said for you and me? When you and I encounter Jesus Christ, God takes our life plan, our road, our whatever, and he redeems it. Why? Well, let's look. If you just keep your spot here, we'll come back to it. But go back to, uh, to the left, to the book of Acts. Today, all I want us to do, that was what we read from Ephesians. I want us to trace what God was doing in this person and in this church because the letter is going to make sense when we've thought through Acts chapter 9 and verses 1 through 6 is what we're going to look at. But I'm just going to jump for time to verse 3. As he, that Saul, near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven 
flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. He replied, now get up, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. This was not, to be a representative of Jesus was not Saul's plan. By the way, I called him Paul, I called him Saul. It's not like Saul became Paul and he became a Christian. He actually used the same name all over the place. Saul is the name given uh, to his Jewish heritage, like King Saul. But he's also a Roman citizen, so most people, if you're ethnic, religious, and part of the citizenry, you probably had two names. And so he goes sometimes by the name Saul, his Jewish name, sometimes by Paul, which Paulus is just his Roman name. So he uses them interchangeably, not religiously connected. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Jesus. And when you realize who Jesus is and he comes alive to you, just know the trajectory of your life will change. Now, maybe not as dramatic as him, but for him, it's just, he's going from town to town saying Jesus is a fraud. Now, guess what God does? He sends him from town to town to say that Jesus is alive. And this is what God does. Look, just jump down. Uh, he, he's blinded. He doesn't eat for three days. He, he fasts. He prays. He's trying to figure out, gosh, the whole way I read the Bible is now different because Jesus is alive. What do I do? Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, who was a Jesus follower, go, this man is my chosen instrument. Remember, Paul said, by the will of God. God chose him to proclaim my name to the non-Jewish people. That's what Gentile means. And their kings and to the people of Israel. So what I want us to see is Paul has this initial encounter and Ananias by the Holy Spirit tells Paul, you're gonna go to non-Jewish places. Oh, you're gonna talk to the people of Israel, but I'm gonna open a door for you that you couldn't open for yourself. And that's exactly what happens. Paul starts to travel. The rest of Acts gives us the information on Paul's life. This is so intriguing, catch this. It was the early followers, James and John and Peter and Andrew, who walked with Jesus for three years. And, and you see God work in their life, but most of the book of Acts is by a guy who never walked with Jesus face to face. Isn't that crazy? And most of the rest of the New Testament, most, Peter writes some, John writes some, most of the rest of the Bible is by this guy who had never even walked with Jesus face to face. Here's my simple point. You never know what God will do. You don't have to have a Christian background from the time you were a kid, you know, with your little Christian toothpaste and a little Christian toothbrush and your little Christian floss. You don't have to have all that. God could do anything at any time. If you will open your life to him, you have no idea in what a quick period of time what he can do. So the rest of Acts are three journeys. And you could look at a map in a Bible or look online and you see that Paul goes to these towns that are mostly filled with non-Jews and it's Ephesus that he hits on his second journey. Today's just, we're laying the foundation. How does he make his way to Ephesus? Look a little bit to the right in your Bible, in Acts to Acts 18. Are you there? 
Just nod, pretend, great. And you're like, I don't have a Bible. Where is the screen? It's coming up. Acts 18, we'll start in verse 18. So Paul stayed for some time in Corinth. And then uh, he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kencatre because of a vow that he had taken. Then he arrived, aha, at Ephesus, where he left, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue. Remember, God said, you're going to go to the people of Israel. And he reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, quote, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from, from Ephesus, and he landed in Caesarea. He went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch, we don't have all the time to trace it out, but Antioch was his home church. So whenever I go anywhere, I go on behalf of 26 West. This is where God's planted me, but this isn't the only place that God's working. So just like, I want us to catch this, just like what was happening in this early Jesus movement, the same thing's happening today. Churches around the world, churches in different places, loving one another, serving one another, and in his case, he wanted to get back to Antioch, his home church, and report on all the great things that God was doing. But he knew he was going to go out again. So on the second trip, he goes into Ephesus, a key city, something you may want to know. Ephesus is a port city. And back in the day before you had Uber Eats or whatever, you know, you had your, you know, your Amazon Prime, your way of delivery. If you were in business, you would go to the port city get all your goods from around the world and then get it back to your town and sell it. So people are coming and going to Ephesus all the time. Ephesus is also has one of the seven wonders of the world. There was a temple to the, the goddess Artemis, also called Diana. And it was a huge structure. It was one of the wonders of the Roman world. And so people would come there to worship and see this magnificent thing. Again, no Google Maps. You couldn't like zoom in. How people lived, we don't know. And, and, and so they would come for business. They would come uh, because of religion and throw this in the mix. Just so happened because the people of Israel were always good at trade. There is a huge colony of Jews, ethnic Jews, living in Ephesus. So when Paul goes through, the, the, the people in the synagogue are like, stay, stay. And he sees how big it is. Aha, if God wills, I know I'll be back. Well, he, he does come back. So just go to the right in your Bible, uh, X, um, Acts chapter 19, and we'll, go, we'll start in verse 1. So while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. I don't have time to trace it. Most of this third journey is centered around Ephesus. Jump down to verse 8, or just look at the dot, dot, dot. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly with them for three months. Remember, last time was just quick. Arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe. And they publicly maligned the way. It's what they called early Jesus followers, the people of the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It was so hot in there, middle of the day. Paul worked as a tent maker in the morning. He worked a regular job in the morning. In the afternoon, it was so hot that people would go home and siesta. But that made this hall open 
So he would lecture daily, talk about Jesus, bring you a little packed lunch, come join me, and let's talk about it. Then everyone would go back to work in the early evening and into the evening hours. Like most of the world where it's really hot, everyone's off in the middle of the day. So Paul works in the morning, he works at night, and in the middle, he's telling people about Jesus. Verse 10, this went on for two years. Look at the bold statement by Luke the writer that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, which was huge, heard the word of the Lord. Uh, That doesn't mean every literal person. It means every group that is going back and forth, someone touched Paul. He's based in a port city, people going to and fro. Other churches are planted, like the churches in Laodicea, the churches in Colossae. All the churches started. Paul centers here. As people hear, they go back to town, and the Lord goes with them. It's not on your screen, but verse 11 says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. If you read the rest of Acts 19, it is mesmerizing what the power of God does. But jump down to verse 23. It doesn't always go well. Ephesus is a point of contention. Verse 23, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That's the Jesus followers. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business from the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in the related trades and said, quote, you know, friends, we receive a good income from this business. And you see in here how this fellow Paul is convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's a danger. Not only our trade will lose its good name, AKA, we're losing cash. We gotta band together because this guy's hurting our business. But also the temple of the great goddess, Artemis, it's gonna be discredited and the goddess herself who's worshipped throughout the province of Asia, and the world will be robbed her divine majesty, end quote. When they, be, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And now soon, the whole city's in an uproar. We don't have time. By the end of this chapter, Paul has to leave, like get out of Dodge before they kill him. Good point. We're going to read this letter, right? We got to know the history of what's going on. God worked in beautiful ways. A church is started. The church grows and becomes strategic, and churches are being planted all over the place, but the enemy is alive. And so know this. The longer we are a church, the longer we grow in grace, the longer we do things to help build the kingdom of God on this earth, it's not always going to go well. Right now, things are pretty smooth. Thank you, Jesus. But don't be surprised when people come around and try to push down. These people, the silversmiths, don't even realize the source isn't them. There's a higher source. The enemy wants to stop God's church. Always has been the case. Always will be the case. It usually comes through other people. But we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Oh, we're getting into Ephesians. Let me stop myself. Okay? The letter is written to a people who understand spiritual conflict. You're going to see spiritual conflict all over Ephesians, but I want you to see why. This is their story. So Paul's there for two years, but eventually he has to leave because his life is literally threatened for the gospel. But he comes back. Okay, so just flip one page to Acts 20. Towards the end of this third journey, 
He, he ends up speaking with leaders in Ephesus once again. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility, with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, not only did Paul have the, the artisans, the silversmiths against him, the Jews were also against him as well. You know I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you, watch this, publicly, that's that, that, that Tyrannus Hall, and from house to house. So church has always been gathered together and in homes. So here we do gatherings on the weekend. Our students gather on Wednesday night, but most of what we do is outside of here. Why? Because that's how the church has always has done life. Together at times, absolutely. Whether it's in Jerusalem at the temple courts uh, or out here, they would gather in a hall or like us in a hall and they gathered from house to house. It's always both. Verse 21, I have, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, they must turn from God, uh, must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So he reminds them, I just preached the gospel. Verse 22, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I struggle if I don't get bumped up into first class. Or at least, like, um, I, don't, I don't buy expensive plane tickets. I just don't, I think that's a waste of time. I just buy the cheapest coach I can. But if I don't get bumped up on, on Delta, at least to Delta Plus, like a, four extra inches, or they'll even bump me up to first class sometimes for free, I'm whining, and the Holy Spirit's telling them, you're going to jail. You just need to know the guy writing the letter has cred. Me, you need to pray for me. But, but he's got total cred. The Holy Spirit warns me. Hardships are coming. However, verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So I want us to get the heart of this leader who's planted this church and writing this letter. He's no wimp. Wherever he goes, he faces trouble. He doesn't stop. Why? He met Jesus and he knows the real deal. And if you've met Jesus and you believe the real, real deal, then tough times will come. May not look like his. Tough times will come. Question is, will you make it your aim, make it your goal to be steadfast like people like Paul, like Priscilla and Aquila and, and Apollos and Timothy and others that encounter this church? Are you going to stand up? Are you going to fall by the wayside? This letter is written so that we would stand up. Jump down to verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and they kissed him. And what grieved the most was a statement. They would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So all I want us to see uh, is that beautiful things happen out of relationship. And we have a relationship with lots of other churches and God's doing beautiful things and we text each other and we love each other and when we're in town we have breakfast together and we cry together and we rejoice together and the Holy Spirit 
gives us the overflow of a beautiful relationship between leaders and a church. And so we can learn from this because just like we have struggles, they had struggles. Now, when does Paul write this and why? We think. He says he's going to Jerusalem. He ends up going to prison, uh, falsely accused. And from that, he makes his way towards Rome, falsely accused. He hadn't done anything wrong. But during these prison periods, he writes letters. And that's what I wanted to get to. He misses these churches. He loves these churches. The church in Colossae, the church in Philippi. Uh, He's got a friend named Philemon and the church here in Ephesus. And so these are what's called the prison epistles, these prison letters. And Ephesians is the one we're going to look at in detail. But if you've read Colossians and Ephesians, 34% of what's in Colossians is repeated in Ephesians. Why? They're like sister churches in the same region going through the same kind of things. But he's got these words to say to these churches. And notice why he writes, 1 Timothy 1, 3, we won't go there, we'll just look on the screen. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, Paul says to Timothy, so that you could command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer. Paul's concern, like my concern, like our concern, like your concern should be, is that we start well and finish poorly. That's the concern. Paul writes these letters because he can't be there and he knows the enemy is going to work. Working in the non-Jesus following community to bring trouble, whether it's through Demetrius and the silversmith, whether it's through the synagogue who doesn't understand the way of Jesus so they come against him. He knows that false teachers in the church, do you know often we get jaded from church by Christians who get it wrong? Never happens here. We get hurt by other believers. And if we're not careful, we will let their intentional, but often unintentional thing, keep us from thriving in Jesus. I don't go to church anymore. Why? Church full of hypocrites. To which I answer, well, what's changed? It's always been full of hypocrites. It's always been full of liars. It's always been filled with sexually immoral because it's filled with humans. So if we're not careful, we can go off course. He writes these letters and the Holy Spirit is all wise. The Holy Spirit knows throughout time, the church is gonna go through the same old thing. And so we get the word of God, a letter written that is timeless because, I mean, clothing changes, but the issues of the heart don't change. Now, why did he write Ephesians in particular. Here's the weird part. If you read Philippians, well, they sent them money while in prison. So he writes a thank you note. Colossians, false teachers. Galatians, false teachers. Romans, he writes because he's about to go there. And he's saying, hi, I'm Paul. This is what I teach. I want you to know it. So when I show up, we can jump to part two. Here's part one, the letter. And now when, we get, when I get there, I'll explain it in full. To the Thessalonian church, they were going through severe trials. People were being killed for their faith. And he writes to see, are you still alive? But Ephesians is different in that there's no particular problem. Here's all that we get. Uh, and go back to Ephesians if you want. Ephesians 3. Why is this letter here? He actually gives us a hint. I'm not going to get into it. I just want us to see it. A hint of why he wrote. Ephesians 3 verse 1. 
For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, we read it in Acts. God said I was going to talk to non-Jews even though I'm Jewish. And now you know that, right? That is, verse 3, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Paul met Jesus. As I have already written briefly, what did he write briefly? Chapters 1 and 2. So he's like, by the time he gets to what we call chapter 3, he's like, you know why I'm here because I just told you previously in the letter. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to people in other generations, as has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. In other words, God let me and others know what he was doing. This mystery, and here it is, this is why he writes, is that through the good news, the gospel, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I don't have time to, to get into this. We will. But this is the reason the letter is there. I said it earlier. Ephesus is a center of trade. It's in New York. It's in L.A. Cash, culture, influence. And in that mix, you have people vying to be on top. And then you have the church. And the church was confusing in Ephesus. Here's why. Jews who stated themselves to remain holy are now including non-Jews in the church. Those who used to worship at these temples, Temple of Artemis, are now worshiping Jesus and not at that temple. The rich, the poor, the affluent, the influential, the nobody, the slave, they're all eating together, loving one another, sacrificing for one another, and that's confusing. It's confusing to people. And what made the church spread was the way these people love one another was so radically not like the culture of their day. Absolutely countercultural. It wasn't their worship gatherings. It wasn't their new backdrops. It wasn't their lights. It was the way they lived their lives was so compelling that people started to ask, could this Jesus like be real? And here's what he does in the letter. I am reminding you of the main thing. In other words, you can start well and you can go off course. You could start with a clear mission and vision and get sidetracked by secondary things. And I don't want that to happen. You can start well and end poorly. And I don't want that to be your life. Now, why are we looking at Ephesians now? Uh, here's a trick. In, in, in church, it's always good to look at the Bible. Would you agree? <laughs> so we can pick any book of the Bible and just open the book. Today, we're going to study 2 Chronicles. Well, we're actually a little more methodical than that. And so we pray and we fast and we think about, God, what are you doing in our church? Because we don't know. And God, will you lead us to the places in the Bible that are going to most influence what you want to do in your future? That's how I think about planning um, for these kind of messages. So we were supposed to be in Revelation right now. Some of you are like, I thought you said, Jose, you're not a liar. You told me we were going to do Revelation, and we were. We were going to start it right now. But over the summer, I had some time away and thinking and praying. 
and thinking about you and thinking about what God's doing in this church, I kept being drawn back to Ephesians and I don't even know why. Now in the last few weeks, as we did the series, The New You, and I've been, I've been thinking about this letter and reading it, rereading it, listening, I'm like, oh, okay, and now I have a sense. I believe that this is a message not just for them, it's a message for us because beautiful things happen out of deep relationship. And the letter is written to make sure they don't lose that. And seven years in as a church, I think we're at a sense of a crossroads, which that sounds so traumatic. I need background music right now. A crossroads. No, not that, but, but we're at a spot where we can either really grow in love for one another and multiply in love for one another, or we could just get off track. You could fall more in love with Jesus, passionately pursue him, give him your life, live like Paul. My only aim is to fulfill the will of the Father or just this Jesus thing could be just a weekend thing. You know, I do my life in the middle of the week. I hang out Friday nights and I have nothing else going on Sunday morning and I'm recording football right now anyway, so I'll just go to church and, and get it done. It could happen. And if you don't think it could happen, I want to take us to the last time Ephesus is mentioned in the Bible because it shows up in Acts. We get the letter. It shows up in 1 Timothy, but then it shows up again in the last book of the Bible. So just turn with me to the right. Go to Revelation and Revelation chapter 2. And, and, and here's why I think reading this is so important, Ephesians, and looking at it and leaning into it and learning from it and growing. It's because of these words. John, the apostle, after Paul is gone, makes from church history, we believe, uh, Ephesus the center of his ministry. So John the Apostle, 20 years after, is there. And then he gets exiled into a small island called Patmos. And in that island, Jesus comes and reveals himself. Just like he revealed himself to Paul, he reveals himself in a very clear way. And then Jesus says, I want you to write down these letters to my churches. What's the first church he writes to? Ephesus. Ephesus was like the central church for all of Asia. So there are other letters to other churches, but it starts with this one. And look at the, look at the good part. Verse one, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds, says Jesus. Your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. You've found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. Well done. See, we've already noticed their whole story has been ups and downs and hardships and pains. And, and look at what Jesus says. I've seen it all. I know it all. Which is a reminder, Jesus didn't just see the church back then. Jesus sees his church now. What would he say about us? If Jesus were to reveal from his perspective, 26 West Church, this is what I have to say to you. Now, I hope I don't have that revelation because when John has it, he's freaked out and he thinks he's going to die. And I'm not, you know, but, but Jesus is speaking. But then he has something interesting to say, verse 4. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far, far you have fallen. Repent. That means turn around. Do the things you did at first, which means to repent. 
If you do not turn around, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is so important as we step into this letter. 25 to 30 years after the letter is written, that's what Jesus says about this church. Beautiful things. You know the truth. You can tell a lie. You don't listen to people who are wayward. Well done. You know your Bible. Good job. But you've lost the love you had at first. Now, what does that mean? Some interpreters think, well, they lost their passion for Jesus. They first loved him. And, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you know, five years, three years, maybe six months ago, you started walking with Jesus. and You're full of passion and life. You want to pursue him. And something happens in your life. And then now you find yourself, well, you know him and you love him, but it, it's just not the same passion. We get distracted by all sorts of things, our own sinfulness, the world, the enemy, whatever the case. And we, we need that love reignited. That could be the case. But it could be something else. The love you had at first. What made the church the church was Jew and Gentile getting along. They didn't get into cliques. It could be that Jesus is saying, that love that you were showing one another has grown cold. In other words, you know me, you love me, you read your Bible, you pray, and it's great, you show up to church and house to house. But what about your brother who's suffering? And what about your sister who needs you? You've, you're okay with me, but your love for one another has grown cold. I, I have a feeling it's both. I have a feeling that to lose the love we had at first implies it, it has to be within and it has to be seen without. And so the reason we're going to look at this letter now is we don't want to have Jesus say this about us. We want to look at what God said so we know what God is saying. Three things I'm going to ask you to do. And if this church is your home, I'm going to tell you to do. If you're just visiting, I'm going to ask. But if you're a part of our church, do these three things for the entire series. This is helpful. Like the doctor you go, if you're not feeling well, what do they say? Take two of these and call me in the morning and I'll bill insurance, right? Uh, we, we, we give these things because they're helpful. Three things. They're not hard. Number one, read or listen to Ephesians every week. We're going to be in this letter through uh, probably February-ish. We'll take a break for Christmas for about a month and think about that. But the rest of the time, so I'm asking you to read Ephesians every single week. Even though we're only going to look at part of it, here's why. We're reading verses when they sat down, they read the whole thing. And then they reread the whole thing. And there were no chapters and verses until 1000 AD. When later on, it became helpful as the Bible began to spread for people to know what, where you were talking about. So they added chapters and verses later on. They just read the letter. So even though we're going to talk about one thing every week, when you get and understand the flow of what's happening, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to make connection points that you didn't think about rather than one-liners. So read it every week. By the way, I would encourage you to listen to it every week. You don't have to read it like sit and read. You can use version free. 
They have audio in every translation possible. You can listen to foreign languages and try to learn a language. I don't care. Every week, all six chapters, it'll take you 30 minutes if you listen. I did it yesterday and looked at the timer. Four to five minutes every day. So do it in one shot, maybe on Sunday morning. Listen to it while you get ready to come here. You could do a chapter a day, four minutes tomorrow, chapter one. Just listen to it, read it. Do it every day so that by January, you not only heard about this letter, this letter is starting to read you. What you're going to end up doing is wanting to memorize certain portions of it because you're like, man, that's so good. And every time I read it, so, so do that. Second thing, and, and this, I'm asking you to do it, please. Bring your print Bible, notepad, and pen. Now I'll make a confession. I'm an e-reader because I travel a lot. When I have a backpack, I don't want to get in pain. I'm reading 15 books on Ephesians every week. I'm not taking 15 books with me to San Diego. It's all on my iPad, right? But the challenge is sometimes we're just so distracted, we just don't even look at it. So bring your physical Bible. We'll still hand them out every week. I use the NIV. That's what we'll have on the screen. Disclaimer, we're going to put it on the screen because we always have visitors every week. Do me a favor. Bring a Bible to church. It's an ancient practice pre the iPhone revolution, and I'm speaking to myself because I don't carry it, I carry my phone. But what I'm asking us to do is in order to get new benefit, sometimes we need to do new things. So just say, look, that preacher told me to bring it. And then come February, if you never want to carry your Bible again, you will want to carry it again. Bring your Bible to church, bring a notepad, bring a pen. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As things don't worry about what I put on the screen. As things come to your mind, just jot them down. Why? Third thing is talk about what we're learning every week. So your assignment every week, what's one thing that you were reminded of was new, uh, was confusing, uh, was helpful, was confirming. It doesn't make a difference what it is. All I'm asking is every week of this series, that you find one person. Now, if you're here with your spouse or your family, it's really easy. On the way home, hey, everyone, what's the one thing? If you're a part of our 26 West communities, whatever you're doing, just take a few moments. Hey, last week we talked about Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which is next Sunday. Um, what's one thing that struck out? Everyone, just quickly, one thing. Sometimes we think our learning happens here. Actually, it's not the truth. Learning happens when you process what you've heard. So you're just hearing it. This is a monologue. When you begin to dialogue about what you're learning, I think the greatest truths become drilled into our soul. So please do me a favor. Read it every week. Bring your Bible, notepad, and pen, and, uh, and talk about what you're learning. Just one thing. And, and I believe that these practices of simple helping ourselves to learn are going to grow us. Now, this isn't the only layer. I'm gonna throw another layer in. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this a couple weeks from now, but I'm not ready for it yet. That's gonna enhance everything I just asked you to do, but I'm asking you to start there. Fair enough? If you don't bring your Bible next week, I'll know it. And it'll be easy. And this is not a guilt trip, but by the end of Ephesians, we're all gonna have our Bible, a notepad, even if you use E, just just write it out, then take a photo of it later, right? And, and we're going to do this to drill in together. So 
speaking of together, I want to end with a prayer that we're going to recite. Remember, one body, Jew and Gentile. One body, one Lord. Everyone together. So I thought, what's the best way to do this? We're going to stand to our feet. That's you. <laughs> I'm already standing. And now we're going to put Ephesians 1, 1 to 2 again. We're going to recite it out loud together. And based on this verse, I wrote a prayer that will transition us to worship. Okay? So I'm going to ask that we do this together. Let's just read 1, 2, 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now based on that, I wrote a prayer that I hope is not just words, but it just needs to start with words, all right? So we'll put the next on the screen. Let's do this together. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us for giving us the Word of God. Lord, we thank you that we are your holy people and that we are the faithful who belong to Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for grace. We'll continue on the next screen. Lord, we thank you for peace. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you just as we are and receive all that we need. Lord, we come.